Chapter Twenty Five of Marion, the Story of an Artist's Model, by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Chapter Twenty Five. When I left the train with my bag in my hand, I felt excited and a little bit afraid. I realized that I had no special destination and the part of the city where the station was did not look as if it was a place to find a room. There were many cars passing, and I finally got on one, a Columbus Avenue. As we rode along, I looked out of the window and watched the houses for a room-to-let sign, and presently we came to some tall stone houses, all very much alike, and ugly and severe-looking after our pretty montreal houses with their bits of lawn and sometimes even little gardens in front there were room to let signs on nearly all the houses in this block so i got out and went up the high steps of the one i thought looked the cleanest i rang the bell and a black woman opened the door i said is your mistress in and she said how we never say how like that in Canada. If we aren't polite enough to say, I beg your pardon, then we say, what? So I thought she meant, how many rooms did I want? And I said, just one, thank you. She walked down the hall, and I heard her say to someone behind a curtain there, say, Miss Darling, there's a girl at the door. I think she's a foreigner. She sure talks and looks like no folks I knows. There was a quiet laugh, and then a faded little woman in a faded little kimono came hurrying down the hall. I call her faded-looking because that describes her very well. Her face, once pretty, no doubt, made me think of a half-washed-out painting. Her hair was almost colorless, though I suppose it had once been dull brown. Now wisps of grayish hair stood out about her face, as if ash had blown against it. She had dim, nearsighted eyes, and there was something pathetically worn and tired-looking about her. "'Well, what is it you want?' she inquired. I told her I wanted a little room, and said, "'I've just arrived from Montreal.' "'Dear me!' she exclaimed. "'You must be tired.' She seemed to think Montreal was as far away as Siberia. She showed me up three flights of stairs, to a tiny room in which was a folding bed. As I had never seen a folding bed before, she opened it up and showed me how it worked. When it was down, there was scarcely an inch of room left, and I had to put the one chair out into the hall. She explained that it would be much better for me to have a folding bed because when it was up I could use the room as a sitting room and see my company there. I told her I did not expect any company as I was a perfect stranger in Boston. She laughed, that queer little bird-like laugh I had heard behind the curtain, and said, I'll take a bet you'll have all the company this room will hold soon. There was something kindly about her tired face when I asked her if I had to pay in advance, the room was three dollars a week, she hesitated, and then said, Well, it's the custom, but you can suit yourself. There's no hurry. 
I sometimes think that nearly everyone in the world has a story, and if we only knew it, those nearest to us might surprise us with a history or romance of which we never dreamed. Take my little fated landlady. She was the last person in the world one would have imagined the heroine of a real romance. But perhaps her romance was too pitiful and tiny to be worth the telling. Nevertheless, when I heard it, from another lodger in the house, I felt drawn to poor Miss Darling. To the world she might seem a withered old maid. I knew she was capable of a great and unselfish passion. She had come from Vermont to Boston, and had worked as a cashier in a downtown restaurant. She had slowly saved her money until she had a sufficient sum with which to buy this rooming house, which I sometimes thought was as sad and faded as she. While she was working so hard, she had fallen in love with a young medical student. He had even less money than Miss Darling. When she opened her rooming house, she took him in, and for three years she gave him rent free, and supported him entirely, even buying his medical books, paying his tuition, his clothes, and giving him pocket money. He had promised to marry her as soon as he passed. But within a few days after he became a doctor, he married a wealthy girl who lived in Brookline, and on whom he had been calling all the time he had been living with Miss Darling. The lodger who told me about her said she never said a word to anyone about it, but just began to fade away. She lost thirty pounds in a single month, but she was the pluckiest little sport ever, said the lodger. It seemed to me our stories were not unlike, and I wondered to myself whether Reggie was as capable of being as base as was Miss Darling's lover. While I was taking my things out of my suitcase, Miss Darling watched me with a rather curious expression, and suddenly she said, I don't know what you intend to do, but take my advice. Don't be too easy. If I were as young and pretty as you, I tell you, I would make every son of a gun pay me well. I said, I'll be contented if I can just get work soon. She looked at me with a queer, bitter little smile, and then she said, it doesn't pay to work. I've worked all my life. Then she laughed bitterly, and went out suddenly, closing the door behind her. As soon as I had washed and changed from my heavy Canadian coat to a little blue cloth suit I had made myself, I started out at once to look up the artist Mr. Sands, whose address Papa had given me. I lost my way several times. I always got lost in Boston. The streets were like a maze, winding around and running off in every direction. I finally found the studio building on Boylston and climbed up four flights of stairs. When I got to the top, I came to a door with a neat little visiting card, with Mr. Sand's name upon it. I remembered that Count von Hotzfeld had his card on the door like this and for the first time I had an instinctive feeling that my own large japanned sign, Miss Asco, artist, etc., was funny and provincial. Even Papa had never put up such a sign, and when he first saw mine he had laughed, and then had run his hand absently through his hair, and said he supposed it was all right for the kind of work I expected to do. Dear Papa! 
he wouldn't have hurt my feelings for worlds with what pride had i not shown him my sign and studio i knocked on mr sand's door and presently he himself opened it at first he did not know me but when i stammered i'm miss asco don't you remember me i did some work for you in montreal eight years ago and you told me to come to boston well i've come good lord he ejaculated did i ever tell anybody to come to boston good lord and he stood staring at me as if he still were unable to place me then after another pause during which he stared at me curiously he said come in come in while he was examining me with his palette stuck on his thumb and a puzzled look on his face as if he didn't quite know what to say to me or to do with me i looked about me it was a very luxurious studio full of beautiful draperies and tapestries i was surprised as the bare stairs i had climbed and the outside of the building was most unbeautiful sitting on a raised platform was a very lovely girl dressed in a greek costume but the face on the canvas of the easel was not a bit like hers mr sands as though he had all of a sudden really placed me in his mind held out his hand and shook mine heartily exclaiming oh yes yes now i remember asco's little girl well well and how was dear old montreal and your father and his friend what was his name hm let me see that german artist you remember him he was crazy a madman lawrence was the artist he meant he was a great friend of my father's papa thought him a genius but mamma did not like him at all because she said he used such blasphemous language and was a bad influence on papa i remember i used to love to hear him shout and declaim and denounce all the shams in art and the church he was a man of immense stature with a huge head like walt whitman's he used to come to the chateau to see the count with whom he had long arguments and quarrels he was german and the count a dane he would shout excitedly at the count and wave his arms and the count would shriek and double up with laughter sometimes and mr lawrence would shout bravo bravo they talked in german and i couldn't understand them but i think they were making fun of english and american art and as for the canadian the mere mention of canadian art was enough to make the old count and lawrence explode poor old lawrence he never made any money and was awfully shabby one day papa sent him to reggie's office to try to sell a painting to the senior partner who professed to be a connoisseur mr jones the partner came out from his private office in a hurry and seeing lawrence waiting mistook him for a beggar he put his hand in his pocket and gave lawrence a dime then he passed out lawrence looked at the dime and said well it will buy me two beers reggie had told me about that he was irritated at papa for sending lawrence there and he said he hoped he would not appear again i told mr sands all about lawrence and also about the count i had worked for about papa some of whose work the duke of argyle 
had taken back to england with him as representative of canadian art which it was not papa had studied in france and was an englishman not a canadian and of my own studio while i talked mr sands went on painting the model watched me with i thought a very sad expression her dark eyes were as gentle and mournful as a madonna's she didn't look unlike our family being dark and foreign-looking she was french mr sands was painting her arms and hands on the figure on the canvas he explained that the face belonged to the wife of senator chase she was the leader of a very smart set in brookline he said the ladies who sat for their portraits usually got tired by the time their faces were finished and he used models for the figures and especially the hands the average woman said mr sands has extreme ugly hands the hands of miss saint denis as you see are beautiful the most beautiful hands in america i was standing by him at the easel watching him paint and i asked him if it were really a portrait for the picture looked more like a grecian dancing figure mr sands smiled and said that's the secret of my success child i never paint portraits as portraits i dress my sitters in fancy costumes and paint them as some character there is mrs olivet her husband is a wholesale grocer i'm going to paint her as carmen this spiritual figure with the filmy veil about her is mrs ash browning a dead and alive wishy-washy individual but as you see her beauty lends itself peculiarly to the nymph she there represents i was so much interested in listening to him and watching him work that i had forgotten what i had come to see him about till presently he said so you are going to join the classes at the academy that question recalled me and i said hastily i hope so by and by first though i shall have to get some work to do he stopped painting and stared at me with his palette in his hand and as he had looked at me when he opened the door i unwrapped the package i had brought along with me and showed him the piano scarf i had painted as a sample a landscape i had copied from one of papa's and some miniatures i had painted on celluloid i said people won't be able to tell the difference from ivory when they are framed and i can do them very quickly as i can trace them from a photograph underneath do you see his eyes bulged and he stared at me harder than ever i also showed him some charcoal sketches i had done from casts and a little painting of our kitten playing on the table he picked this up and looked at it and then set it down muttering something i thought was not so bad after a moment he picked it up again and then stared at me a moment and said i think you have some talent and you have come to the right place to study and work mr sands i said i've come here to earn my living can you give me some painting to do he put down his palette and nodded to miss st clair to rest then he took hold of my hand and said now miss asco i am going to give you some good advice chiefly because you are from my old montreal mr sands was a canadian because of your father and our friend good old mr lawrence 
finally because i think it is my duty now young lady take my advice if your parents can afford to pay your expenses here stay and go to the art schools but if you expect to make a living by your painting in boston take the next train and go home i can't go home i cried oh i'm sure you must be mistaken lots of women earn their livings as artists why shouldn't i i worked for count von hatzfeld and he said i had more talent than the average woman who paints how much did he pay you demanded mr sands five dollars a week and sometimes extra i said mr sands laughed you would starve on that here even if you could make it which i doubt in montreal you had your home and friends it's a different matter here altogether i felt as i once did when as a child i climbed to the top of a cherry tree and charles had taken away the ladder and i tried to climb down without it i kept repeating desperately i won't go back i tell you i won't no no nothing will induce me to go back i gathered up all my paintings i felt distracted and friendless mr sands had returned to his painting and he seemed to have forgotten me i saw the model watching me and she leaned over and said something in a whisper to mr sands he put his palette down again and said come miss saint denis this will do for today. we all need a bit of refreshment miss asco looks tired i was and hungry too i had had no lunch for i lost so much time looking for mr sand's studio he brought out a bottle wrapped in a napkin and a big plate of cakes he said i want you to taste my own special brand of champagne cocktail he talked a great deal then about brands of wines and mixtures etc while i munched on the cakes which i found difficulty in swallowing because of the lump in my throat but i was determined not to break down before them and i even drank some of the cocktail he had mixed for me presently i said well i guess i'll go and i gathered up my things mr sands stood up and put his hands on my shoulders miss saint denis was standing at his elbow and she watched me all the time he was speaking now miss asco i am going to make a suggestion to you i see you are determined not to go back now the only way i can think of your making a living is by posing i drew back from him i am an artist i said and the daughter of an artist he patted me on the back that's all right i know how you feel i've been a canadian myself but there's no use getting mad with me for merely trying to help you you will starve here in boston and i'm simply pointing out to you a method of earning your living there's no disgrace connected with such work if it is done in the proper spirit as far as that goes many of the art students are earning extra money to help pay their tuition that way the models here get pretty good pay thirty-five cents an hour for costume posing and fifty cents for the nude we here in boston pay better than they do in new york and we treat them better too of course there are not so many of us here and we haven't as much work but a model can make a fair living isn't that so miss saint denis she nodded slowly 
her eyes still on me but there was something warm and pitying in their dark depths now went on mr sands i don't doubt that you will get plenty of work you are an exceedingly pretty girl i don't need to tell you that for of course you know it what's more i'll safely bet that you have just the figure we find hard to get a perfect nude is not so easy as people seem to think one whose figure is still young most models don't take care of themselves and it's the hardest thing to find a model with firm breasts they all sag the result of wearing corsets so we are forced to use one model for the figure another for the legs another for the bust and so on before we get a perfect figure and when we get through as you may guess it's a patchwork affair at best your figure i can see is young and uh, has life esprit are you eighteen yet i'm nearly twenty-two you don't look it hmm the hands are all right fine and the feet he smiled as i shrank under his gaze they seem very little small feet are not always shapely but i dare say yours are your hair and your colouring yes i think you will do famously it's rather late in the season but i dare say you'll get something now what do you say give over this notion of painting for a while and perhaps i can get you some work right away i'll never 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 pose nude i said hmm well well of course that's what we need most it's easy to get costume models many of our women friends even pose at that however now would you consider it very infradig then to pose for me say tomorrow in this spanish scarf you are just the type i need and i believe i can help you with some of the other artists i thought of the few dollars i had left i had only about twelve dollars in all mr sands said he would pay me the regular rate though i was not experienced after a moment's thought i said yes i'll do it now that's talking sensibly he said smiling and miss saint denis here will take you with her to other places to see about getting work she said yes certainement i will do so you come with me now i thanked mr sands and he patted me on the shoulder and told me not to worry he said he would give me some work regularly till about the middle of may when he went away for the summer i would get thirty-five cents an hour and pose two hours a day for him when we got to the street the lights were all lit and the city looked very big to me miss saint denis invited me to have dinner with her she knew of a place where they served a dinner for twenty-five cents she seemed to think that quite cheap i told her i couldn't afford to pay that much every night and she said well you will do so by and by soon you will get the work especially if you pose in the nude i said i will never do that she shrugged after dinner she took me to a night school where she posed as she said she wished me to see how it was done of course i had already seen 
lil marky pose for the count but she was just an amateur model then it did seem worse to me moreover to go out there before a whole class than before one man miss saint denis seemed surprised when i said that and she declared it was quite the other way that night i sat in my little narrow bedroom and looked out of the window and i thought of all i had learned that day and it seemed clear to me that mr sands was right there was little chance of my making a living as an artist in boston what was to become of me then should i return home the thought of doing that made me clench my hands passionately together and cry to myself no no never never i remembered something mr davis had said to me when he was teaching me to act he said that i should forget my own personality and try to imagine myself the person i was playing why should i not do this as a model i resolved to try it it could not be so bad since mr sands had recommended it yes i would do it i would be a model but i should not tell them at home they would not understand and i did not want to disgrace them with the resolve came first a sense of calmness and then suddenly a rush of rage against reggie who had driven me to this i had the small-town english girl's foolish contempt for a work i really had no reason for despising as the daughter of an artist and as i thought an artist myself it seemed to me i was signing the death warrant of my best ambitions and as i have said i felt with rage that reggie was to blame for this i looked out of that window and lifting up my eyes and clasped hands to the skies i called o oh god in heaven hear me and if ever i go back to reggie curse me and may all kinds of ills come upon me amen now i thought as i got into that folding bed i don't dare to go back for god will curse me if i do End of chapter 25 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista